Good morning. Today's scripture reading today is coming from the book of um, Matthew, the last chapter, chapter 28, beginning at verse 1. After the Sabbath, at dawn on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to look at the tomb. There was a violent earthquake, for an angel of the Lord came down from heaven and going to the tomb, rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning, and his clothes were white as snow. The guards were so afraid of him that they shook and became like dead men. The angel said to the women, Do not be afraid, for I know that you are looking for Jesus who is crucified. He is not here. He has risen, just as he said. Come and see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell his disciples, He has risen from the dead and is going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him. Now I have told you. So the women hurried away from the tomb, afraid yet filled with joy, and ran to tell his disciples. Suddenly Jesus met them. Greetings, he said. They came to him, clasped his feet, and worshipped him. Then Jesus said to them, Do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee. There they will see me. While the women were on their way, some of the guards went into the city and reported to the chief priests everything that had happened. When the chief priests had met with the elders and devised a plan, they gave the soldiers a large sum of money, telling them, You are to say, His disciples came during the night and stole him away while we were asleep. If this report gets to the governor, we will satisfy him and keep him out of trouble. So the soldiers took the money and did as they were instructed, and this story has been widely circulated among the Jews to this very day. Then the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, Randy. Uh, we are uh, at the end of our series in Matthew. This is it. We made it. You made it. We made it through the, the entire gospel, and we come to a, a glorious ending. Uh, and and uh, what a, a passage that's commonly known as the Great Commission. Um, and ju- just so you're aware, uh, I did want to make, make a note to you. You may notice uh, we, we haven't stopped and had a time of prayer yet. What we're going to do this morning is we're going we're gonna to hear... Uh, hear from the word, we're going to share in the Lord's Supper together, and then after the Lord's Supper, we're going to have a brief time of prayer uh, as a way to end our service. So just to prepare you for that, um, change is always hard, and, uh, and so, so there it is. Um, so, so the question that, that the disciples face, and particularly thinking about those last verses from 16 to, to 20, um, is what difference does the resurrection make? Uh, what, what's the difference that that it makes to them and it makes to us today. Uh, Jesus is resurrected and sort of their, you know, the so what question happens to, should, should come into our minds. Um, certainly the early church thought a lot about that. Um, and a lot of the New Testament is, is reflecting upon what his resurrection means. Uh, is it just a hopeful end? Does Matthew just want to give us a good ending to a long, beautiful story? 
you know, Disney has that instinct, right? Everything sort of has to end well. I'm, I'm realizing as I'm saying it, Disney is now like a trigger, so maybe I shouldn't raise the, the term Disney. They're controversial now. But, but you know, the story, we like a, a story with a good end. Uh, maybe, maybe Matthew's about that. Maybe the resurrection is just a proof. It's just a demonstration that, well, Jesus really was and is God. Um, and that's, that's kind of the, the, the beginning and the end of it. Uh, well, I think that there's more to it than that. And so, um, and, and so let's take a look. There's three headings in your outline. The resurrection, uh, three things, declares the victorious authority of Jesus the King, invites you to a new allegiance that is present, future, public, and personal. And finally, the resurrection ushers in a community of spiritual power. Uh, so, so taking one verse at a time, verse 18, then Jesus came to them and said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Jesus has raised from the dead. He has presented himself to his disciples. Apparently, he's told them to go meet them on, some, on a particular place. And he arrives, and he, this is his announcement to them. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me, Jesus says. Uh, what, what does that claim mean? Well, um, if, you, if you can think back to, I, I don't know how many months ago when we started the, the series on Matthew, uh, we begin Matthew with a genealogy, and part of the purpose of the genealogy is to show uh, Jesus is in a royal line. Jesus is a king. He comes from a royal line. And of course, what does Jesus begin to, um, to declare when he begins his ministry? Uh, he doesn't say, hey, I'm Jesus. Come hang out with me. I got a lot of great teachings to give you. You know, he declares um, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. He declares, coming declaring a kingdom. Uh, Jesus um, is, is a king. His announcement, the, God, the good news is that the kingdom of God is at hand. That's the beginning. And what we just have been through the last couple weeks is the very end of his life where it appears that that kingdom has been smashed into a thousand pieces on the cross. Uh, the would-be king is dead. It appears that all is lost. His disciples are scattered. Kingdom failure. Uh, but of course, what we, and what we've read this morning is, is that what appears on the cross to be total defeat, to be the end of his kingdom, is actually a death blow to all his enemies. Uh, the powers that stand against his kingdom uh, are defeated on the cross. And, and it's important, like, just so consider the way that Jesus dies. Uh, all of the humiliation that was heaped on him, all the betrayal, all of the suffering that he, that he uh, all the humiliation, all the abandonment that was laid upon him that he experienced, all of that is taken upon him on the cross and in his resurrection is defeated. Jesus overcomes it all. So, so what happened, why are we tracing sort of the, the beginning and then the end of his life? What happens when, when you vanquish your enemies, if you were to vanquish all of your enemies... It's not really something we do, hopefully, very much today in, in, uh, in, these, in these times. There's not a lot of vanquishing going on. But if you were, like Jesus, if you're a king and you have just defeated all of your enemies, all who would vie to control the throne that you seek to sit upon, what happens after you, you defeat all your enemies? Enthronement. Jesus is enthroned in his resurrection. He sits on the throne over all things. And that's... That's, uh, that's how Mark 16 has it. Mark has it, after the Lord Jesus spoke to them, he was taken up into heaven, and what did he do? What, where is Jesus? He is sitting at the right hand of the Father. He is reigning, enthroned over all things. 
So that's why he says, all authority in heaven and on earth is given to me, he says. It's all mine. Jesus is over all things. All authority over all of heaven and all of earth, which leaves out how much? None of it. None of it is outside of his authority. And what that means, and what I would just offer you this morning on that, is is that to live under the authority of Jesus means that sin and death no longer have the final word in your life. If Jesus really did, if, if what we're claiming this morning is that Jesus really did, and what the scriptures testify to, is Jesus really did get up from the grave, he really did walk around and present himself to the disciples, he really did ascend to heaven, then under his authority, there is hope in the midst of any suffering or sin that you're facing. It doesn't have the final word on us. Uh, So how do you make sense of that? I'll just give you two quick uh, examples from my own life. Um, Maybe a a simpler one. Uh, I've I've taken to trying to uh, exercise a little bit more, and that has involved some attempts at weightlifting. Uh, If you're you're well-versed in the gym life, uh, I, I admire you a lot. It's actually, if you've ever tried to begin using a gym and like working weights and all that stuff, there's sort of a, it's very, it's very, um, it's intimidating, I'll say that. There's all kinds of things happening in a gym, right? Uh, and so I've been trying to work with free weights and exercise a little bit more, and that has in, involved um, the most heroic of all weightlifting exercises, the bench press. The problem with the bench press, especially if you're by yourself, is that if you fail to lift the bar um, to its proper height to rest it on the rack, uh, you, you're in trouble. You look rather foolish. Um, and so, so this past week, um, I, you know, what happens with, with weight training, of course, is every time you hope to add just a little bit more weight, um, you know, that's, that's the goal, I suppose. Um, <laughs> but, but this time around, I added just a little bit too more weight, so I'm on rep seven, eight, and finally on the ninth rep, um, I'm kind of stuck in between, and I'm kind of in that, like, uh, you know, what's going to, it's not going to fall. So fortunately, these racks have, like, those little lower clips that you can sort of land upon and still save a little bit of dignity, um, which is what ended up happening. I ended up kind of getting it on that bar, but it was kind of crooked, like one was higher than the other. Um, needless to say, I stood up, and of course, um, I'm, my personality, I'm just completely uh, embarrassed and just thinking everyone has been looking at me struggling this whole time uh, to get the weight over my head. Um, why am I telling the story? I, I, uh, I, at that moment, as I've been contemplating the authority of Christ um, in my life, I did have the thought, by God's grace, this is not usually how I think, by the way. This is just the benefit of meditating on Scripture a lot, uh, for the sermon. Uh, I thought, what, God has authority over all things. And so even though I'm super embarrassed right now, uh, and I feel really foolish in front of this gym full of people who are a lot more muscular than I am, um, my, I can walk out of here and my person is still intact. I, I am not defeated by... The, the massive embarrassment of not being able to lift the weight over my, over my head. Uh, because, my, because Jesus has authority over all things, my identity and who I am comes from another, comes from him. And so, and so I'm not defeated by, by my, my failures at the gym. Simple example, but, but, um, but it's something I think we all experience in, in life in little ways. The way that we, our personhood gets attacked and falls apart um, and is defeated. Maybe something a little bit more uh, deep. The, uh, the, the month of August is a, is a hard one for my family. 
Uh, you know, it's the one where we, we remember the passing of my mother. And so, th- so there's, there's the gym, I can't lift the bar up over my head, authority of Christ. And then there's the, the deep suffering and mourning and loss of a loved one, authority of Christ. Uh, he's, his authority is over both. And so the way I've been wrestling with that, how do I bring my mourning, my deep suffering under the authority of Christ? Uh, well, I, I'll confess to you that I, I, it's hard to say it's okay that my mom is not here because Christ is risen. It's really hard to say that and believe that in my heart. Um, but, but, but I can, but here's, here's how I've entered into it. And here's how to invite you. If you're facing, if you have a, a suffering that you're facing that you can't quite see past or that maybe has for a long time disrupted and, and made God distant from you, um, if you have a sin pattern that you know you need healing from, that you can't quite seem to get out from under, um, here's, here's a way to enter into the authority of Christ this morning. Um, do, you, do you long for healing? Do you know deep in your gut that, that death should not and cannot be the end? Is, is there a longing in you to be free from that which binds you? That, that longing in itself is, is, is a, it points to the risen king. Do you realize that? That longing that you desire to be healed, that longing that you desire for your loved one to no longer suffer, doesn't come from nowhere. It comes from the truth that Jesus reigns over all creation. That's how powerful his resurrection is, is that it puts into us a longing for more than this world can give. Uh, C.S. Lewis famously, as I I think I mentioned to you, I've been reading through Mere Christianity again. Um, He writes, most people, if they really learn to look into their hearts, would know that they do want and want acutely something that cannot be had in this world. There are all sorts of things in this world that offer to give you, to give it to you, but they never quite keep their promise. If I find in my desire which, uh, I'm sorry, if I find my, in myself a desire which no experience in this world can satisfy, the most probable explanation is that I was made for another world. Probably, he continues, probably earthly pleasures were never meant to satisfy it, but only to arouse it to suggest the real thing. If that is so, I must take care, on the one hand, never to despise or be unthankful for these earthly blessings, and on the other, never to mistake them for something else of which they are only a kind of copy or echo or mirage. I must, listen, I must keep alive in myself the desire for my true country, which I shall not find till after death. I must never let it get snowed under or turned aside. I must make it the main object of life to press on to that country and to help others do the same. The longing for healing and victory over death and sin is because we long for the victorious king. And all you have to do, brothers and sisters, is just get to the edge of that longing this morning, uh, to long for his reign. Uh, to, to like the bleeding woman pushing toward Jesus, just pressing forward to just touch the hem of his garment this morning. That, that's the significance of Jesus's, of his authority over all things. We, it's what we long for. It's where we go to know that truly, if he is risen, all things will be made well. So, so there's, there's a new authority, brothers and sisters, that we can, we can press toward uh, and that, that is deep 
deeply in us because he's risen. So the second thing, the resurrection invites you to a new allegiance that is three things, present, future, public, and personal. Um, that Jesus, if you've noticed the, trans, the, the move from verse 18 to 19, uh, Jesus says, uh, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. And then what does he say next? He says, therefore, in verse 19, therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. Therefore, uh, I have all authority. Therefore, here's what you're going to do. Since I have all authority in heaven and on earth. Uh, because Jesus is enthroned, here's the task of allegiance for you. Go and make disciples of all nations. Um, so how do you, what, what's the nature of that task? Go and make disciples. Like if you were to make a disciple, how would you go about it? What are the ingredients? What's the process? Uh, just three things that I think this passage shows us, and I'll move through them quickly. First, um, it's just important to note that the, the task of making disciples that God's given his church, has God given us, is a present task. There, there's sort of a little bit of a hangover. I don't know from what exactly that, that, that sort of streams in some of, of, of the church is that, that saving, God's saving grace is for, is for when we die. It's exclusively about you, you, you receive a, a stamped ticket to heaven, and that's the transaction. And, and Jesus' great commission says, wait a second, I, I said, therefore, right? I'm risen, therefore you have a task. It's a present task. It's a present task at hand for us. Um, it's not just about what's awaiting us in eternity. Of course it is. The bodily resurrection of Jesus is a historical event that's ushered in the kingdom now, which means how we're formed in the present matters because of where we're headed. So Jesus says, therefore, go and make, and that has everything to do with how we live in the present. So it's a present task. It's also a public one. Uh, what do I mean by that? Uh, what does Jesus say? Baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Baptism is, we could say a lot of things about baptism, but certainly one of the things that's important about it is that it's a public declaration of allegiance to a king. It's a public identification with the risen king, Jesus. Uh, for, for a family of faith on behalf of their child or for a professing uh, believer, it's a public declaration of allegiance to, to the triune God of the scriptures, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Uh, membership into that allegiance is no longer based on uh, your background, your family, where you came from, Jew or Gentile. It is for all people in relationship to this God. It's a public identification of a public truth. Um, and, and just part of that publicness of it is notice that Jesus says, go to all nations, all nations. Um, it's a charge to, to, to bring about the name of Jesus to all people um, because, because Jesus is sovereign over all, all people. Um, so it, that's kind of an amazing fact to contemplate. If you're here this morning and you profess faith in Jesus uh, and you, you've publicly identified it, uh, your, your allegiance to him, you are actually, you're the fruit what we have here gathered this morning is the fruit of, of courageous love, of people who profess faith in Jesus and went to all nations, crossed lines to share that allegiance with other people. Uh, Jesus is not American. 
which for Americans, I mean, come on, it comes as a shock to us, right? We sort of think that the world revolves around us. Uh, our faith did not begin in Philadelphia. Uh, it, the, this testimony of, of this public faith of people crossing cultural, ethnic, class, racial lines to share this public faith with others. And we're the fruit of that. Somebody went to your people, your family, your tribe at some point, at somewhere in your family history, and shared the good news of Jesus in such a way that it brought about for them a public declaration of faith. And so what that means then is that in this publicness of it, that making disciples to all nations means that we have to be a people of great love. Because to cross over, to go to all nations, um, means that we, we see the societal barriers as not, as not as barriers, but as invitations. That's a bit of a challenge for my faith this morning. Uh, the people who are different from me, who speak a different language from me, who think differently politically from me, who, who um, live in different parts of the city or the country from me, that, those divides, Jesus says, that's an invitation. It's not a barrier. All nations, all nations to share the public good news of Jesus. Uh, so it's public, and then it's personal. Um, not only is it it's public, but it's also personal. He says, baptizing them and teaching them to obey everything that I have commanded you. Uh, everything that I've commanded you. If Jesus reigns over all things, then, then everything about my life is, becomes subject to his rule and authority. Everything about who I am and what I do faces this question. Uh, how does this, whatever I'm doing, whatever I'm thinking about, conform to the rule of the king? To make disciples involves teaching a life of observing all that Jesus commands. Um, and so, so it's personal, right? Because think about that. Um, what's happening? If, if you're if becoming a disciple, making a disciple means people begin make the choice about who sits on the throne of their life. It's a personal change of the heart. The throne of my life is occupied by the risen king and not by my own self. The center of your person is not about self-rule, but it's about his rule. And, and so therefore, a, a disciple is, becomes a kind of person who has at the, the throne of their life Jesus the king. Uh, it's the kind of person who has surrendered to him who has all authority. And so then, so then reflect with me for a minute the, the teachings of Jesus, just to name a few, right? You become the kind of person not who is anxious to try to obey every jot and tittle of the law, but you become the kind of person who at, at work or at school, you can bless those who curse you. See how personal it is to try to do that? <laughs> that's not like, let me try to check that box. That, that's about what, who is on the throne of my heart if I'm going to bless somebody who's cursed me. Uh, you become the kind of person who can humbly give without letting your left hand know what your right hand is doing, right? I come under the obedience of all that Jesus teaches because he's personally on the throne of my heart. Um, I become the kind of person who can't pass by somebody in need and ignore them in my heart. I'm filled with compassion instead. Uh, just, just as an example uh, of this, uh, we see this uh, in, in the book of Acts. There's a famous story. Uh, Paul and Silas are in prison in Acts 16. Everybody remember this story? And they're singing and worshiping God in prison. Uh, become the kind of person who sings and worships God if you're in jail. 
There's, there's, there's an example of discipleship. But, but even more than that, the story I think is more amazing is they're singing and they're worshiping God. And what happens? God sends an earthquake and the jail breaks and um, Paul and Silas are set free. And the jailer who's responsible to keep them in prison is about to kill himself because he sees that the prisoners are freed. Um, and, and, uh, and, and he throws them down himself at their feet and he says to Paul and Silas, they, they, they stop him, of course. And, and uh, he says, what, what should I do to be saved? And listen to what, what they say. They replied, believe in the Lord Jesus and you'll be saved, you and your household. And then, and then they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all others in his house. At that hour, the night of the jailer took them and washed their wounds. Then immediately he and all his household were baptized. The jailer brought them into his house and set a meal before them. He was filled with joy because he had come to believe in God, he and his whole household. So it's just a, it's a great picture of what, what did the jailer do? He, made, he changed from a public profession of allegiance to the Roman Empire, and he shifted his public profession to the King Jesus, to King Jesus. And as a result of that public profession, the, hand, the very hands he, he used to serve go from serving the jail to serving and washing the wounds of God's people. That, that, that's, a, that's a disciple being made right, right, right in the midst of, of this transformation of the story public profession, a personal transformation. So, um, okay, so let's just step back for a moment. Um, so are we, we're to go and make disciples? So are we going or are we making? Which is it? Right, so uh, given that, all those things we just said, um, are, we, are we all tend now to just go? Because if we're all going, then it's going to be difficult to make disciples, isn't it? And if we're all making, then who's going? You guys following with me a little bit? Yeah? No? <laughs> My wife says no. <laughs> um, so so the, the task Jesus gives his church is go and make. Yeah? Um, but what I've, what I've just tried to show you is that making a disciple requires um, deep personal work over a long period of time. And that going across borders to other ethnic groups requires going and, and exploring and being and, 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 and adventuring out into new places across lines. They seem to be at somewhat at odds. On the one hand, are we to go, 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 or are we to stay and make, make, make? She's nodding her head. Maybe that helped a little bit. Um, what, what, I, what I want to suggest to you is, um, is, is this. It, it's, the answer is yes. We're, we're to do both. Um, a church that is only on the go at the cost of making disciples, will soon become impersonal. Um, we'll have a wide, expansive, but not deep discipleship. We'll have lots of ministries and leaders and activities, but they'll be for- poorly formed. Uh, the life of the disciple will be largely about busyness and conformity rather than formation into Christ-likeness. Being a disciple will only occur when you're on mission rather than when you're living faithfully in all of life, at your home and at your work. If we're only on the go, we will never be able to sit in silence in prayer and devotion. On the other hand, if, if we're only about making and forming, if we're not going out across to all nations, um, the cost is that we'll become callous and ingrowed. Uh, the life of the disciple will largely drift toward our own personal fulfillment. To be a disciple will only occur in solitude, in times of theological learning, in the life of the mind, and our prayers will never be bold asks of the king. Uh, So the words of Jesus here are not to find a happy middle road to go and make, 
but to live in the tension of both. Because our going out, brothers and sisters, demands our making of disciples to be deeply formed for the courageous love that's required of going out. And making disciples demands that we who are deeply formed by his presence will push us out. Uh, maybe this will help if, none of, if, if you're having trouble tracking with me. Uh, Leslie Newbegin write, writes that the deepest motive for mission, the deepest motive for going out, is simply the desire to be with Jesus where he is on the frontier between the reign of God and the usurped dominion of the devil. So go and make. Um, it's a new allegiance that we have. It's a new task for the church. Finally, um, the resurrection ushers us into a community of spiritual power. Um, the final words of Jesus in verse 20, and surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Uh, it's a promise of Jesus that he'll be with us always to the end of the age. Um, and, and it's at the heart of the gospel story that God descends to be with us. Emmanuel, God with us always. He comes to dwell with us. Uh, Tim Keller writes there in your outline, he says that the founders of the other great world religions died peacefully, surrounded by their followers and the knowledge that their movement was growing. In contrast, Jesus died in disgrace, betrayed, denied, and abandoned by everyone, even his father. Other world religions teach salvation through ascent to God, through good works, moral virtue, ritual observances, and transformation of, of consciousness. In contrast, Christianity is about salvation through God descending to us. This is the great difference between Christianity and every other philosophical and religious system. Um, the God who descends promises that he will be with us. He will be with you. It's a you. It's a plural. It's a, it's a use, as we say in these parts. It's a you all. It's a y'all. He will be with us now to the end of the age. So, so his promise to us is in, in corporate worship, in our breaking bread together, and loving one another, um, and using our gifts for one another, and confronting one another, and carrying one another's burdens, um, and are going out and are coming in. Together, we will experience his presence. That's Jesus' promise to us. He will be with you. He will be with you, brothers and sisters. And so, so just as we, as we end, that's, that's an invitation and a challenge to you. When you gather together with God's people, do you anticipate that God will meet with us? As Nancy implored us to think about even in her welcome this morning. Do you anticipate that God will dwell with us, that he will meet with us? Uh, maybe, maybe put it another way. Um, do you know that the longings that you have in your life are, are a longing to be in the presence of God? That whatever longings you bring through your week to, to Sunday are, are found and met and find their satisfaction when you come into the presence of God. And are you, invited to, are you moved to invite others to share in that? Uh, God descends to be with us. He promises to never leave us or forsake us. I want to invite the, uh, the worship team forward. Let me, let me, let me pray for us. Lord, we, we thank you um, for, for going to the cross for our stakes in our place, taking on the sin and death of the world on yourself and rising again to vanquish all that holds us, Lord, 
all that traps us, all the death and suffering that overwhelms. Lord, you took it upon yourself and had victory over it. So we give thanks now, Lord. And we pray, Lord, would you make us a congregation that knows how to go and make, a congregation that knows how to, how to, how to be made and formed into Christ-likeness and to share that with others, Lord. And we thank you, Lord, that your promise is that you are with us, that your presence is with us even now, that you promise to never leave us or forsake us, even to the end of the age. Help us, Lord, help our unbelief. Help us to be, believe that now, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.